Um, this morning, I want to start off as we dive into the Word of God. Um, I know a young mother um, who had bought her first modest home nestled in the beautiful El Dorado County uh, area. Picturesque place for her to raise three of, all three of her children, all of them under seven years old, two, five, and six, I believe, two, four, and six. August 14th, 2021, many of you know the Caldor Fire tore through Northern California, burning 222,000 acres of land, 922 buildings, including their home, the modest home of this young family and this young mother. Now, praise the Lord, they were able to evacuate in time, but they lost everything. Their dreams went up in smoke just like that. And as they were left sifting through the rubble, this young mother was asking God, why am I suffering? Why aren't you here? Why didn't you help? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I pray enough? Didn't I give enough? Didn't I serve enough? And so for every mother, for every person that's ever had to carry the weight of what you've lost, what has been burned, what has been broken, and perhaps you've done all the right religious things that you're supposed to, and yet still feel that God has been absent in your suffering, there's hope and help from the word of the Lord today. Would you turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 58? There's Bibles under your seat as well if you didn't bring one, or you can just look up on the big screen. We are still in this series called Restore, how we experience restoration by returning to God to rebuild what is broken. Not simply to replace the, the janky broken stuff, but for God to build something new, something better, a picture of the gospel and what Jesus does in our lives. And this morning, we're taking a slight detour. We're going to rewind the clock about 260 years before Nehemiah to the time of Isaiah, a prophet. And during this time, the people of God, they were under a threat from the Assyrian Empire. And they needed to decide, who are we going to trust to save us? Our circumstances? Trust in ourselves? Trust in other people? Or are we going to trust in God? And unfortunately... They kept relying on anyone and anything else other than the Lord, which turned out to be poor substitutes. And so we know from history that they ended up turning to Babylon to be our Lord and Savior instead of God. And Babylon turned around and said, instead, I'm going to be your Lord and conqueror, just as God had prophesied. And so as Jerusalem lay in rubble, as the people lay, went into exile, God speaks this message of hope and comfort in Israel, that I'm sending a servant of the Lord, a savior, that wars will end, that sins will be forgiven, that mountains of pride will be laid low, that valleys of despair will be lifted up, for God is coming to us. So people of God, prepare yourselves and prepare the way. And the big idea from this passage this morning is that when you and I turn back to God, that he will be our hope in our scorched places. And the beginning of the chapter is broken up into three sections. The first section that we're skipping is that when the people of God face suffering in Babylon and they cry out to him, didn't I fast enough? They kind of withheld from, from eating and, and put themselves in dust and ashes. 
I, didn't I fast enough, Lord? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you fixing our problems? And you and I, we may struggle with the same questions in our suffering. Didn't I pray enough? Don't I read the Bible? Don't I fast enough? Don't I worship enough? Don't I give enough? Don't I serve enough to the Lord? Where is he in my suffering? And in Isaiah 58, it sees that the people of God get their priorities mixed up at times. When we take the tools of worship, like fasting, like praying, and we try to use God to get blessing instead of get more of God to be a blessing. Because when we're in pain, what do we really need? More of God. We need to experience more of Him. And so that's where we're going to pick up in this second section of Isaiah 58 this morning, starting in the middle of verse 50, uh, verse 9, because each of these is a section of if-then statements. In the middle of verse 9, it says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as the noonday. Let's stop right there for a minute. So the picture here is, have you ever felt like you were trapped in darkness? Like a time when in your life you experienced something painful in your past. You can't fix it. You can't forget it. It just kind of keeps hanging over you, this, this shroud of darkness that causes you to fall into a deep depression because you cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. And so in verse 9, it exposes our tendency when we're in those dark, depressive moments, when we can't escape pain, we can't escape the darkness, to lash out at other people. The verse describes it as placing a crushing yoke or a burden on others by pointing the finger at them or speaking wickedly towards them. Do you ever do that? That when something inside you is broken and bruised and it's not healing, and so what happens is you carry this raw wound with you and then someone random says something at the wrong, the wrong thing at the wrong time and it just sets you off. You start blaming and shaming that person. You tear into them and tear down your spouse, your kids, a random person that happened to be in your blast radius as if they were the source of suffering, source of your suffering instead of a victim of it. And when you have this kind of pain in your life, it doesn't matter how much time passes. Left untreated, that pain starts to poison you from the inside until your bitterness starts overflowing on the outside. And what this passage says is that the antidote to being swallowed up by darkness and bitterness in verse 10 is that instead of just going through the motions of worship, like fasting and hunger, what if you lived out the reality of worship? actually honoring God by maybe serving those who are actually hungry. Because in our suffering, it's easy for us to curse other people. But what if true fasting, true worship is blessing other people? But Pastor Josh, you don't understand. I've been living with this condition, this suffering, this pain for a long time. I'm suffering and I'm stretched thin. I don't have the energy to bless anyone else. What does the Lord say will happen when we satisfy the desires of the afflicted. If we move from being self-centered and other-controlling to self-controlled and other-centered, that we not only bless other people, 
But the side effect is that the light of Christ starts to lift us out, lift our spirits up out of that foggy gloom. That when we bless other people, it's not just a distraction from our troubles, it's actually the solution to our despair. And so I want to encourage you, if you are in pain today or yesterday or tomorrow, that as we turn from bitterness towards others to blessing others, that God's light will pierce through our dark places and despair. July 23rd, uh, 1992, police in Beattyville, Kentucky, informed Rosemary Smith that her two sons, Jeremiah, age 15, and Drew, age 18, were driving home. They were returning from a concert that was hours away in Indianapolis when their vehicle crashed. Both boys died. An overwhelming darkness settled over this mother's heart. And tearfully, she said, there was no sleep. I would just sit in the boys' room constantly on their beds. I would call out to them. I would talk to them. I would write notes to them. It would be very easy for her at this juncture in life to give in to bitterness, bitterness towards her life, bitterness towards her husband, bitterness towards other families that had their kids still, bitterness even towards God. But instead, she decided to surrender her life and her losses to Jesus. In her words, my first night's sleep finally came when I finally stopped questioning and doubting God and instead gave it up to Him. And what happened is, as she experienced the daylight of God's presence and peace creeping back into her heart, that the Lord gave her a calling to launch a ministry called Fellow Travelers to other grieving parents who've lost a child. Every day, she and her husband, they contact these families and they mail out packets of encouragement and resources that are individualized for specific losses through illness, through suicide, through accidents. She receives about 50 email requests every day and this simple family, who they haven't launched a worldwide ministry. It's just they running them themselves. They pay for and they sent out over 5,000 of these kind of packets all over the world to grieving families. And then she's also interviewed parents to record their stories of handling grief and survival and healing and produced a film called The Space Between Breaths which won the 2007 Best Documentary, Documentary Award at an international film festival in Atlanta. And the name of that documentary she took from a mother that they had ministered to, that they had been sending a packet to, that they had conversations with, who had decided to continue living after losing her three-year-old daughter. That mother said that in that space between breaths, I made the decision to live. And Rosemary says, you know, after all these years of my pain, God has lifted this dark cloud off of me with this calling to help people. It gives me great joy thinking that God is using my pain and suffering to help others. And I want to ask you, what if Jesus could do that for you? And I want you to hear me clearly. What this passage is not saying is it's not saying ignore your hurt or your depression or ignore self-care. It's not saying codependently give what you do not have until you have nothing left except pain. Instead, it's asking us to give from what we do have. 
Because we have Jesus. And from him, we can start by asking him, when there's pain poisoning my soul, is there bitterness that's spreading and spilling over onto others? And can you help me with that? And what would happen if we asked and received from him the comfort and the courage to give others a blessing instead of our bitterness? And what if when we are most like Jesus sacrificially is when we are most set free emotionally from our chains of darkness and gloom? I want you to consider if you're stuck in a dark place, if that might be the way or one of the ways that the Lord starts loosening some of the chains in your life and in your heart. But perhaps it's not depression about your past, but the devastation of your presence that's, that's burning through your life. Let's look at verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Many of us are familiar with the promise of Psalm chapter 23 that talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. It's comforting, right? In our pain because God can bring us to a place of peace in this life and he ultimately does in the life to come. But you and I mistakenly assume that that means this Psalm 23 means that God only leads us to still waters or that our contentment will bloom once we reach those longed-for green pastures. And yet what we see here in verse 11 is that there are times that the Lord allows us to travel through scorched places. It's not all green pastures and still waters. Places where fiery trials threaten to overwhelm us and consume us. That God doesn't always deliver us out of the fires, but he often has to carry us through it. And so this passage, it directs us to a very different promise of blessing. That God will satisfy your desires within scorched places, verse 11 says. And so that means it's not good circumstances that will truly fulfill the desires of our heart. That only God can do that. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 tells us that in your presence, Lord, there is overwhelming fullness of joy, even enough to fill even scorched places to the brim with satisfaction, with fulfillment, even with joy. How many of you have experienced what this passage describes? That in your scorched place, when you sought and encountered the presence of God, that when you were lost, like in verse 11, it says, he guided you continuously. He started giving you clear comfort and courage, conviction and direction through his word and through his Holy Spirit whispering into your heart. When you were feeling empty and alone, he satisfied your desires. When you were feeling brittle and falling apart, that he makes your bones strong. I know for many of you, you may still feel like, yes, I've experienced all those things, God guiding me and satisfying me and strengthening me, but I still feel burnt out. Even when I'm connected with Jesus as my power source, that for many of us, we're like an old generation cell phone where the battery no longer holds the same charge. It doesn't have the same capacity. 
because you've been burned out so many times. He knows. And the most significant surprise comes at the very end of this verse where God turns the tables from us being scorched to being like watered gardens and springs of water. And God's promise to you is that in scorched places, that you won't just survive it, that God is going to make you a spring that overflows, that as we turn to God to refresh our burnt-out souls in these scorched places. John chapter 4, Jesus says that he pours himself out this joyful, life-giving water to quench our fires, to quench the thirst of our souls. It is a promise to continuously revive us and refresh us and renew us with more of him so that we bless others out of the overflow of God's water of life in us. So if your life has been scorched by pain, would you come to Jesus because your peace, your fulfillment, what you really need, it's not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. If you're uncertain and indecisive, you can ask him to guide you, and he will. If you're empty and weak, you can ask him to satisfy you, and he will. If you are parched and burnt out, you can ask him to replenish your soul, and he will, because he is a great and generous God who loves you. He is water for your soul, even in scorched places. Now, for some of us, you know, we look at this passage, and yes, okay, Sometimes my life has been scorched in the present, and, but some, that scorched place, that can grow in you. But what if there's nothing left to grow? What if there's nothing left but a ruined future? That's all I have. God's people know that feeling because as I described to you, the people of Judah, their land was conquered. Uh, Jerusalem was in rubble. The Jewish people were in exile. And what's happening for them is that's not some one-time painful event that you just, you just got to get over it, Right? Sometimes people in our lives, they treat our pain as if it's something that you just got to get over. Their lives, their family, their nation are over. They're completely in ruins for multiple generations. And into this, God speaks in verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. When your life feels like it's been more than just burned over, but completely obliterated, when you feel like there is nothing left, God promises his people that ruin and destruction are not the last word, that there is coming a day when he will rebuild our ruined cities and lives because God loves his children and he is not abandoning his people. And we trust him because we're able to fast forward 260 years to the time of Nehemiah when God kept his promises to rebuild and restore the physical and the spiritual walls of families and communities of Jerusalem together. And do you know that he still does the same for us today? no matter how broken you think your future is. And the guarantee comes in this book that in our place, Jesus came and died on a cross 
to dispel our darkness, to quench our fires, to restore our ruins, to forgive sins, to give us life. life. And he rose from the dead, and he's coming again, and in his eternal kingdom, there's not going to be one stone that is knocked over. There's not going to be one broken heart that is not healed. There's not going to be one broken life that is not made whole and beautiful and new again. Because if you love and trust and worship Jesus, there are no more ruins when his kingdom comes. And so his promise echoes down to us through the ages. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. The people of God in that time waited 200 years in their ruins. But do you know that when we turn to God, he will rebuild our lives in those ruined places. Shannon Etheridge was a sharp 16-year-old girl, bright future ahead of her. Climbed into her little brown car, little Plymouth, strapped on her seatbelt, and she was driving to school. It's the third day of school, that school year. At the very same time, Marjorie Jarstafar, a Wycliffe Bible translator, godly woman, loves the Lord, serving in ministry, was riding her bicycle along the same country road. And in a moment of distraction, Shannon took her eyes off the road and struck Marjorie. She died. And this 16-year-old girl was found completely at fault by the authorities. Her life, as she had known it, is over. All that lay ahead for her? Ruins. Consumed by intense grief, she contemplated suicide several times, the 16-year-old girl, but she ended up never taking her life because she encountered the overwhelming grace and presence of God from the place that she expected it the least, Marjorie's husband, Gary. This man said to her that he forgave her, the 16-year-old. He refused to pursue her punishment. In, he, in fact, he insisted that the district attorney drop all the charges against her without any trial, saving her from a very probable guilty verdict. Instead, he said to her, you cannot let this ruin your life, young lady. God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I am passing my wife Marjorie's legacy on to you. And she says, even though I grew up in church, I don't think I ever really knew Jesus personally. I never understood the depth of his mercy or his compassion or his love for me till I met Gary and his response towards me, the very person who caused him indescribable pain and loss, was a vivid picture of how Jesus endured all that pain on the cross. And yet his first concern was always for us, the very people who nailed him there. She spent the next 20 years pursuing Jesus like Marjorie did. She spent the next 20 years being transformed by forgive, the forgiveness of Jesus, just like Gary gave her. And today she is the best-selling author of the book Every Woman's Battle and Every Young Woman's Battle. She recently completed a book, Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits, to help women overcome guilt-ridden, wounded lives. And so I want to challenge you when you are 
crippled by maybe a long-term condition or situation. When the life that you hope for seems obliterated. You can lie down in the ashes and surrender to ruin. Or you can bow down to grace and surrender to Jesus. And if you do that, if you'll come humbly before the one who loves you more than anyone else in all of history, in all of eternity, then he will pick you back up. He picks up all the pieces. He'll redeem us and rebuild us and restore us into something new, something far better, repeatedly in this life and completely in the life to come. There will be times in your life that you thought you did everything right, that you're being a good Christian, you're being the, a good religious person, and you will still get unexpectedly swept up in the firestorms of circumstances, left wondering, how did I get here? Where is Jesus in this? And you'll slip into bed at night with more questions and tears and pain, and there's no easy answers in sight. And those places that once blossomed incredible fruit will now appear to be a barren wasteland, scorched beyond recognition. And it's into this wandering wasteland that God breathes a word of life to you, promises that you can cling to in Isaiah 58, that when we turn back towards God, that we will discover that He is our real hope in scorched places, that He lifts us out of the darkness of the past, that he satisfies and strengthens us in the fires of the present, that he restores us when our future seems to be in ruins. And so whether you find yourself in a dark place, a scorched place, or a ruined place this morning, may you turn to Jesus and experience the presence and the promises of a very real God in heaven who has proven that he's there for us through a son who suffers on our behalf, who rose victoriously out of an empty tomb to bring us hope and healing to all that you have lost, that has been burned, that has been broken. May you experience the rich presence of God on this painful and beautiful Mother's Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give praise to you, the God of glory, that we celebrate this beautiful day because it reminds us of the sacrifice, the service, the care, and the comfort that you have given us, revealed to us oftentimes through our mothers. And so it's a day of joy, of appreciation, and thankfulness. But we thank you that you are not a God of an empty religion where we just fake it till we make it, and that you are the God who looks into our lives and our hearts and knows and sees real pain, real loss. And so we invite you into our scorched places this morning. Would you give men, women, and children here this morning the courage to turn their eyes upwards, to bring before you the pain and the loss that we have, and to find that as we hold it up to you with open hands, that you take our hurt from us and put into us your peace, your comfort, your presence, your goodness.
that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who cares for us, who will always be there for us, who restores our soul, who will rebuild our lives in every ruined place, in every scorched part. So we bow before you and we ask that you would help each of us to encounter you ourselves to do business with you this morning. In the merciful name of Jesus, we ask these things.